please stay standing as we are going to hear the reading for today from Christian. And I would invite you into fellowship with us in this moment. And then we're going to pray through his word on some other things. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not to lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming and saying, Give me justice, justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because the widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and I will not give God justice to the elect who cry to him day and night. Will he delay for long for the, over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedy, speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will, find faith on, will he find faith on earth? He also told the parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and then one a tax collector. The Pharisee, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, the man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Christian. Please pray with me as I pray. Father God, your truth that Christian read is that you are merciful. And we stand before you not worthy on our own account at all, but because of what your son Jesus did on the cross. And that is a historical an emotional, a mental, and a physical fact. And the words of the song, Still be my vision, O ruler of all. Lord, I pray that right now, in this moment, that we would have a people that would want that. Lord, thank you for this time. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Please go ahead and have a seat. My name is Jeff Dawkins. I'm one of the elders here at Cross Train. I'm going to do something different today. I want you to close your eyes. I say this knowing that this is going to be a long time and I have a big ask here. You know, close your eyes. I'm going to relate to you a couple of stories. And as I relate to you these stories, I want whatever picture comes into your mind to be the reflection of what God is going to do with this message. See, years ago, 19 years ago, I started in the police department and I was... Uh, encountered by our chaplain. Glendale Police Department Chaplain Darlene shared a story with me one day as she rode along. I wasn't saved, and she wasn't deterred. And she told me she knew the Lord had something more for me in my life. And as I laughed, she told me that she had been praying for a friend for 38 years, consistently. She had lost track of this friend. They moved across the country, but that didn't make her not want to pray. She taught her 
The passion for people to see her love of Jesus reign in their hearts as it did in her home. And after 38 years, that friend called her from another state just to tell her that she'd had a life-changing encounter with God and that she was now a Christian. And she thanked her because she knew she would have had to have been praying. Darlene had never heard any feedback and never a word from this friend. And yet she knew she must stay persistent in her prayer as it shaped her more into the person Christ wanted her to be. And I ask, what would you do? Second story, from 1992, northern Nigeria, Pastor Selchin. Muslims in Kaduna, Nigeria, went on a rampage against Christians. Two pastors and their families were killed, along with 300 laymen. The fanatics severed Pastor Selchin's right hand. And when it fell to the ground, he raised the other one and sang, He is Lord, He is Lord, He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His wife and his sister and their family stood by smiling and praying. And this last story is from a, a girl in Asia, 16 or 17, in the 1970s. And it reads, The communist soldiers had discovered their illegal Bible study. And as the pastor was reading from the Bible, men with guns suddenly broke into the home, terrorizing the believers who had gathered there to worship. The communists shouted insults and threatened to kill the Christians. The, the leading officer pointed his gun at the pastor's head. Hand me your Bible, he demanded. Reluctantly, the pastor handed over his Bible, his prized possession. With a sneer on his face, the guard threw the word of God on the floor at his feet. And he glared at the small congregation. We will let all of you go, he growled. But first, you must spit on this book of lies. Anyone who refuses will be shot. The believers had no choice but to obey the officer's order. Soldier pointed his gun at one of the men. You first. The man slowly got up, knelt down by the Bible. Reluctantly, he spit on it, praying, Father, please forgive me. He stood up and walked to the door. The soldier stood back and allowed him to leave. Okay, you, the soldier said, nudging a woman forward. In tears, she could barely do what the soldier demanded. She spat only a little, but it was enough. She too was allowed to leave. Quietly, a young girl came forward. Overcome with her love for the Lord, she knelt down and she picked up the Bible. She wiped off the spit with her dress. What have they done to your word? Please forgive them, she prayed. The communist soldier put his pistol to her head and he pulled the trigger. Lord, I pray right now that we would be a people that would hear stories like this of persistence in prayer, of overcoming in victory, knowing that if today is the last day and this is the last breath, that we use it to proclaim your glory because that's what all matters. And that if in this moment we have an opportunity to deny you for ourselves, Lord, I pray that you would take that from us, you would snatch it, and you would give us your spirit and your power for we when we hear of wars and rumors of wars, we look up for the day of our salvation is at hand. We are your prized possession. Father, we give this time to you in your name. Amen. So you can open your eyes. Hopefully those stories did to you what it did to me, which broke me, and I literally had to stop my preparation for the message. And as we move into this, 
message, we're in a series called The Secret to Prayer. So I'm going to review for you a little bit about where we've been, and then we'll talk about where we're going. When we started this series, I think five weeks ago now, we introed with Elijah's story on the secret power of prayer in his life used by God, and how humbling himself empowered his ministry for the, the spirit-filled life that he had. And we've heard messages on this one linear thought for the next four weeks about humbling ourselves and how that gives way to understanding what prayer reveals about us and God, about how to hear and obey God's voice in prayer in our life, about how freedom in confessional prayer builds relationships, and why embracing openness and sharing struggles is critical to strengthening our soul. So today, we are talking about the secret of prayer and humble perseverance, and we're going to focus our time today on this one key training thought. How does persistent prayer sharpen our passion for kingdom work? We're going to explore that through two training truths today. That first, persistent prayer exposes what we value, and I'm going to take a look at Luke 18, what Christian read with the second parable from verses 9 through 14. The second truth, persistent prayer guides us to a single-minded focus, and then we'll go back and cover verses 1 through 8. But to clearly get to the heart of the message, we need to understand that Jesus was exposing in this section of Scripture a, a, a truth, a, a set of, of commands to be sure, but an example. And I'm going to take these two parables, but I'm going to walk you through some cultural things to consider. So the Pharisees were the religious elite in the Jewish society. They, they were like the ones on the surface that every single person wanted to be like. In comparison, the tax collector was the sinner. And in Jewish society, he, he was even considered a traitor by his own people. They deeply resented him and hated him. No one wanted to be a tax collector. So the point that Jesus makes with this parable is how upside down their and, and even our own view of thinking is compared to the thoughts of the view and thinking of God in Christ. Do we have the mind of Christ? The Bible says we do. But Jesus wants people who are not deluded and who know their need. So if you're not there yet, open your Bibles to Luke 18 and read along with me as I read verses 9 through 14. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. <laughs> but the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's the word of the Lord. And it leads us into that first point, that persistent prayer exposes what we value. So the Pharisee is coming to the temple publicly to let everybody see how righteous he was, correct? He had all the nicest clothes on. Where's my friend Mo? He had a, the phylacteries all big and happy and the boxes of all the scripture he memorized. And he was there in all his pomp and circumstance because the Pharisees would go up three times a day, according to Jewish tradition. 
And he was not pressing into God, but he was pressing into the approval of man. He loved being recognized for being a Pharisee. He was just deluded about himself. And Jesus is clear about this. The Pharisee held himself up to a standard of righteousness of his own doing. He couldn't see beyond his own path because he felt he was at the pinnacle because everyone told him he was. Well, he deludes the image of God in that way to others. Now, the tax collector stands differently. And I would ask you to think about this. What makes that man, because there's a lot of white space on this thought, what makes a tax collector come up to the temple? Why would he do that? And even once there, why would he climb those steps? And even once there, why not go further? He was absolutely aware that during the time of prayer, that every single person was going to be there listening to the Pharisee talk about how great he was. And when he heard the Pharisee's prayer, he knew exactly who he was. He was not deluded on his image. He was not deluding the image of God. He was so full of the righteousness of what Christ was doing, what God was doing in his life, that he wasn't deluding God. And yet, he still won't climb the steps all the way to the presence of God because he knows he still has work inside of him that Christ will do, has done, and will continue to do. And I, I can't hammer this concept more than I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to stay calm. I, I hope my, my Apple Watch doesn't call 911 because my heart rate's going to go like we saw the other week with Pastor Doug. But this is a big deal. This is a big deal to recognize who we are in light of God. We talk about this in different ways and in different messages. We have heard that statement. Who are we in light of a righteous God? And all of us would say, well, I am, I am this, I am lowly, I am a sinner, I am this. And all of that can be true. But what is always true is because of the cross you see right there. Because God put his son on that cross, we are redeemed. We are saints. We are children of God. That's real. And frankly, if you've been around me for any length of time, you know I use phrases like unacceptable, how dare you, and are you kidding me as I walk forward. And I would say that as I was like, yes, that's true. I would say, how dare we have a deluded image of who God is? It's unacceptable to not know who we are in light of the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Pastor Doug discussed this last week, that, that this tax collector was experiencing some shame, but not shame about who he knew he was. He was living in the shame of who he used to be. When he turns his eyes to the temple, his standard of measurement wasn't man, but it was God. He had the correct image of God for others. And don't you just wonder, all the people around, when they saw both those guys, it's not talked about, yeah, they went back, the Pharisee and tax collector, but what about everyone else? What did they do? He's living out the truth that we claim as our promise from Paul. Well, Jerry Marcelino, he's a pastor of Audubon Drive Baptist Church, says this. I'm going to read this. There's no other sin Jesus more strongly denounces in the New Testament than religious hypocrisy. He continues, says, be merciful to me is, is, is really God propitiate me. In that moment, the tax collector cried out for something to satisfy the wrath of God. And he knows it can only be through God's grace and mercy to restore him. Because Jesus highlights it's the man who exposes his motives as looking to the forgiveness and grace of God as the only standard of judgment and righteousness. And that's what will bathe them in justification. That's what this is talking about. 
And how do I know that? Well, because the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible, and we can, we can take notes about what the Bible says. I want you to write this down. You don't have to turn there, but Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 23, I'm going to read this. And go back and look at this if you think I'm kidding. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus because of the confession taught in 1 John, verses, uh, 1 John 1, 1 and 8. This was two weeks ago we heard about this. Verse 20, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The last verse reads, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. And this is truly the mark of a mature, righteous man walking with the Lord as we saw in last week's message. So as we consider our first point, persistent prayer exposes what we value. It exposes the motive. I'm going to walk us into our first talking point. Our first talking point is how is what we pray for and how we pray revealing our desires. How is what we pray for and how we pray revealing our desires. And I don't want you to turn inward. I'm just going to have an open discussion for a couple of minutes about this. So how is what we pray and how we pray reveal our desires? Who has a thought on that? I mean, I have the mic, but you can talk as well. Mo says selfishness. How so, Mo? So the motive that Mo said is selfishness because a lot of times I pray for myself and not others. Is that a bad thing to pray for yourself? Absolutely not. But if the motive is because I desire, I want, I covet more, me, 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 not you, 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 it's probably a motive issue. And knowing this man, that's not where he ends. So that's beautiful. Who else? Anyone else? So Scott said, the will of God versus the will of us. What is our motive? Do, do we understand, church, that coming to prayer, right? Coming to prayer is not something on the side of our faith. Do we understand this? We would say yes, but as I talk to people in, in my own life, does my life reflect that I understand? It's not a part of the process. It is the process. It is the process. What is his will? How do you know his will? I know my will, right? My will, I start praying and then I think, I'm hungry. And do we go shopping? And what do we have for dinner last night? What did I do yesterday? What kind of car do I drive? What's for vacation next year? You know? I mean, and you're just gone because my will rules. What if our will was aligned with God's will? That's what he wants us to pray about. One more. Yes. Oh, and I wish you could hear, in the, just even the way he said, he says, praying pridefully. Praying pridefully, we saw the example in the Pharisee. So how is what we pray for and how we pray revealing our desires? When we're prideful, it's because we believe that we deserve God's time. Who wants to jump on that bandwagon with me? I believe that God deserves, or I deserve God's time, not the other way around. Like God waits for me to come to him in prayer and says, oh, Jeff, it's about time. I'm telling you, as we let persistent prayer expose our motives, we can start doing the work to draw closer to God. That's truth. So walk back in the Bible now to Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Again, 
in this parable, this is written specifically for this culture. And I want you to consider what being a widow meant at this time. Quite literally, to, to be widowed was to be absolutely destitute. I mean, you had nothing and you could expect nothing except maybe reprieve given through the ruling of a judge to provide you financial support and, and just absolutely allow for basic survival. So in the culture, when Jesus is writing this, he's explaining, understand who you're talking about. Understand who a widow is and understand why the next section matters. So read with me as I read verses 1 through 8 in Luke 18. Verse 1, now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him, saying, give me legal protection for my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God and respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I'll give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what this unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Amen. So I'm going to talk about something that Pastor Doug explained and has explained over the years. This is actually a section 1 through 8 called an inclusio. So verse 1 and verse 8, and the second part of that, are the main points. It's where the primary points are bookended, and they're explained, the, the meat that leads to these points in the middle. Jesus is showing his people his desire to see them solely devoted to him. Okay, and I can prove it because it says in verse 1, he was telling them a parable to show at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. In verse 8, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So you think about those two points without the focus that he's predicting, not one person will be of devoted faith when he returns. And with that as a background, that leads us into our second point. Persistent prayer guides us to a single-minded focus. Persistent prayer guides us to a single-minded focus. I said it before that, that growing in faith is a heart process. It also is a shoe leather process. We walk it out with people. We see prayers of the saints on the board here. We hear stories during prayer of that time. However, do we understand that even in this moment we are growing closer or maybe even more distant from God? that we would run, but God stays here holding on to us? Jesus relates this parable to instruct us on this discipline of prayer and that for our own right reasons, we can be in a committed relationship to him, but unrighteously because of our own motives, we can stray. But, but this example sometimes, and I struggled with this honestly, I'll tell you, verses one through eight is hard to hear because sometimes you hear a different interpretation. But let me explain to you what this is not. God is not comparable in likeness to this judge. So God is not the judge. He is in complete opposition. The judge didn't fear God. God is not a vending machine. So God is not a vending machine. Amen again, huh? Because, and we can hear that. You can hear so many times, well, I prayed and I got this. Or I prayed and didn't get this, so therefore I didn't pray hard enough. Really? 
Have you prayed to the point where you're crying blood through your sweat? I, I'm just, I don't know if you have or not. I've never had. Okay? God is not getting tired and irritated by our persistent prayer. God is not going, ah, here comes Sean again praying about his kids. Here comes Sean again because the guitar isn't in tune or whatever Sean may pray. Maybe I should pray about me. I'll stay with me. That was lovely, by the way, what you did to open us in. I love you. Thank you. And lastly, God does not, God does not just give in because of the nagging of his children. Now, I will speak about myself. I have two children. They're right here. They're now really tall, and I love them. And when they were really small, and I love them as well, they would be like, Dad, can I? Dad, Dad. It reminds me of Family Guy, right? Little Stewie. Mommy, Mama, Mama, Mommy, Mama, 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 Mommy, Mama, Mama, Mama. And she's like, what? Love you. As parents, can I? Can I? Can I? Can I? Can I? Can I? You just go, yes. There are times I've done it, right? That's not God. And it's certainly not what is exemplified in this passage. God is not tired. He doesn't think we're nagging. He's like, let it all go. You heard in the opening calling passage that Pastor Doug read, when King David is crying out, God is, just bring it to me. Remember why the widow's seeking judgment from this judge from our culture. That protection and money just to sustain her life, I mean, it really marked her survival. This this really is a key point that the widow in this segment, she remained undeterred and she stayed strictly vigilant, constantly pressing into this judge. She knew this was a spiritual battle, but this didn't just come up because of this issue. You don't just come across hard times and now I'm a prayer warrior. Do not kid yourselves. In any way you want to gain strength, spiritually, mentally, physically, you start. Like, when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago or tomorrow. Do you understand? We don't become prayer warriors just in our circumstances. We don't rise to the occasion. We sink to the level of our training. Don't kid yourself. But the best day is either 20 years ago or right now. What does tomorrow look like? Because this is what this widow was banking on. Her consistency in her life her spiritual direction and guidance, and her passionate love because of her relationship with a faithful and trustworthy God. Again, don't turn there, but make a note. This is important. 1 Samuel 1, verses 11 and 12. Now, this is about Hannah. Listen to what this says. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And a razor shall never come on his head. Now it came about, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli was watching her mouth. Hannah highlights this. If you're going to write something down here, if I've just been blowing you off the rails here, write this down. Persistent prayer is the barometer of faith. And this was Jesus' point. So I love the prayer that was prayed, one of the prayers, uh, one of the kids, I don't know who it was, who said, thank you, Pastor Doug, for not yelling at us, right? Well, that's what I'm here to do, It's to yell at you and get you to understand that persistent prayer is the barometer of our faith. Don't show me your works, show me your faith and I'll show you my works, amen? amen. Hannah's heart condition 
for her petition in this single-minded purpose was marked by her persistency. And in fact, the word continued in that section literally meant multiplied in that verse. She multiplied her prayers from past over time. She never gave up because of her heart of faith. She appealed to what she knew was the righteous judge of the universe. She trusted his promises to carry her through bitterness of her soul as seen in the verse prior to that section. So the widow, going back to our section, the widow kept on the unjust judge to plead for a justice in case. She continually was pressing into him, even as he continually refused to hear her at all. He finally decides to give in and give justice to her so that she stopped complaining. But Jesus interprets the parable, especially verses 6 through 8, pointing out that if the unjust judge would give justice, then imagine how God, who the just judge is, will see that his children get justice and quickly. And that last part, that verse 8, when Jesus' question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth, wasn't spoken out of ignorance. He wasn't asking a back and forth question. He was not. Nor was his questioning whether all believers would be gone when he returned. Instead, he asked the question to spur the disciples and to spur the people listening to the faithfulness of prayer and to encourage them to keep on praying. If they can do it, you can do it. It's not in my notes, and this is where everything goes off, right? But if they can do it, you can do it. Are you in a D group? Are you in a D group? Do you have somebody you look towards that models that expression of prayer, that models the expression of living a life of consistency and persistence? If not, come find me. And you can jump on the Jeff train at my house every other Monday as we just get it going, okay? A lot of yelling, a lot of prayer, a lot of Bible, okay? See that example that Jesus is showing us. Uh, another part of Scripture that I would like you to make a note of is Luke 11, verses 11 through 13. Now, suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish, will he not give him a snake instead of a fish? Or will he ask for an egg, will not give him a scorpion, will he? And you guys know this section. Verse 13, if you then, being evil, know how to get good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Seems pretty easy to understand, and yet, why do we consistently walk away from that? I want to draw you into our second talking point. This one, you're going to talk at your table for a couple minutes. Our second talking point. What passions in your life would drive you to never give up, even in the face of death, as we heard in some of those initial stories? How do you keep your focus set in the same way on God's passions? Because that's our overall goal, right? How does persistent prayer ignite our passion for kingdom work? Go ahead and take a couple of minutes and talk at your table about these questions. <laughs> All right, so what passions in your life drive you to never give up even in the face of death? Hopefully you guys had a good discussion. Um, a discussion at our table, you know, when, when you think about, I, my passion is this, I don't know if I really believe it, but if I just am passionate and consistent enough, maybe I'll start doing the things I say I'm passionate about. I don't know if you guys had any conversations. Or, yes, I know that I'm, I have this chore to do, honey. I know you're passionate about me doing it, 
but consistently telling me for six months doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to get it done. Yeah. We, we, we never, that, that, that actually was not my, I wasn't going to say it, but that wasn't my wife and me. I feel like we've gone this way now. Let's bring it back in here. Um, if you look up at the screen, there should be a quote from C.S. Lewis. So you take a look at this quote from C.S. Lewis, right? You never know how much you really believe anything until it's truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life or death to you. The girl that knelt down and wiped off the spit on the Bible, she knew. She knew what she was doing. Does the truth matter that much to her according to her life and death? Yeah, because she gave her life. She gave her life. And when I think about, I was, I was going to say, well, what kind of life and death type things do you deal with that would drive your faith like a hammer just into your heart? But the word for that is passion. And the expression of that is kingdom work. So we've looked at in Luke 18 two examples that Jesus taught on showing it was the self-reflective person with the right passion and focus who practiced persistence in prayer that was able to find trust in the Lord's redemption regardless of the outcome. Because remember the story about the tax collector and the Pharisee. You don't know what happened to him next, either one of those guys. Does the tax collector leave and walk more closely with the Lord in that moment? Or does he give in to what is absolutely going to be some, some pressure, some questions on his genuineness, his motives? Does he stay a tax collector? Probably not. What, what do we do? When we leave here on Sunday, do we stay on this high? Or do we, like my friend would say in a voicemail, don't hunker down but keep looking up? Right? Do we live that way Monday through Saturday? I said years ago something that I stand by with more conviction today than ever, that if you have a filter in your life that's Monday through Saturday, and you have a Sunday filter, and you look good in both of those filters because you certainly like to have like decaf coffee and then caffeinated coffee, which I love, right? Why not go like this and use one filter? We have one filter. It's Jesus Christ's his sacrifice, that's our filter through which Monday through Sunday are viewed and lived out. And we live it out together. Our two training truths today walks us through the model of persistent prayer and, an, and a need to practice this, be, be closer to God. Remember, it, persistent prayer exposes what we value and persistent prayer guides us to a single-minded focus. So when I had you guys close your eyes and I read those stories of it, extreme suffering and faith in those moments. Um, again, even to the way that our master teaches the disciples why committed, intimate fellowship with him and his father is the only thing that matters, we can learn to embrace our training truth. And again, it's how does persistent prayer sharpen our passion for kingdom work? So our lives need to be about living for Christ. In Exodus 32, verses 7 through 14 you want to want to check this. It'll be part of your readings this week. Moses is pleading for God not to wipe out Israel for their idolatry and sin. So I want you to listen while I read this with an ear to hear how God let Moses press into single-minded passion that he had for his people. That's the cause of how he, and why he prayed so hard. That's the reason. Listen as I read this. I'm going to read verses 11 through 14. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you've brought out from the land of Egypt? 
with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens. In all this land of which I've spoken, I'll give you your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. In verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. So the, that phrase, changed his mind, or, or in some translations, it's relented. It doesn't mean that he thought one way, God, if we're going to characterize him like we would think, and then he thought another way after Moses prayed to him. That's not what it means. The Hebrew word, nahem, is that word for relenting or changing. And it's spelled N-A-H-A-M, which sounds like Nahum as well, which is another whole service that we can talk about. That word suggests that there is a relief or that there's a comfort from a planned, undesirable course of action. A relief or a comfort from a a planned, undesirable course of action that we walk knowing that there are things that are, are going to be painful, but that the overall glory is better. We look at Moses pressing into what was most passionate for him, what he would die for, for the people of Israel, before he had already willed something to pass. That's, that, that's what the Lord was doing, letting Moses see that passion. The next slide should have it on the screen here, but cross-train exists to train people to teach God's truth in the context of redemptive community. We're never more family and community than when we join together in focused, purposeful prayer to bring God glory. And so Tom brought it up. We're going to be doing a prayer night coming up next Saturday. Literally the night. 9P to 5A. And then we'll see you here for church 14 seconds later. Okay? Yeah. Our passionate pursuit of God lets him respond to his bride here and guide us as we go. This is what we believe. So I'm going to wrap up my time and leave you with this thought. And, and I want you, again, if you're going to take something away from this, this is the drive that I'm pushing you to. God's word is leading us to this thought. Are you willing to put aside everything else and join us in promoting faith upon the earth to one another? Are you? Right, let me say it again. Are you guys willing to join me right now as I start yelling? Are you willing to join us in promoting faith and a redemptive community to show people on the earth what it means to be Christian and how, yeah, it's going to cost something? If you're willing, raise your hand. I feel like an altar call. We're not doing that, but if you're willing, raise your hand high. Children, look at your parents. Parents, look at your kids because we're going to do this together. Look around the room. We are a church that is on mission together, and we're going to stay together. Amen? Amen? That's important. That's important because guess what, people? There are other people in these stories we read up front that are literally dying to hear what we take for granted. They are dying. They're dying to hear what we take for granted. Okay? There's a reason I'm wearing this. I go to war and I armor up every day. And you need to see what my example looks like. It looks like this. Come with me. Come with me and just come and see. Come and see that the Lord is good. 
The Lord is good. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for it in this moment that you have brought us to a place that we can, we can hold up high the one thing you have for us, the focus on your word. Lord Jesus, your example is what gives us direction. Your example is what gives us purpose. Your example is what gives us focus. Lord, would you continue to press your example into our hearts and imprint that onto the hearts of other people. Lord, would you be like that encouragement that with a good slap on the back, we still have your mark later. Father God, right now, I pray for the hearts of the people in this room that they would, if they raise their hand, that they would stay on mission, that we would have a faith family together with one purpose and one vision because we love you first and foremost. And to our last breath, all God's people would say, amen.